Good morning. So the 26th of December, you can all have a seat. You don't want to stand the whole time. That's my job. So I'll stand for you. You sit for me. All right. Also, um, it gets really hot up here. So is there anybody that's going to be offended if I take my jacket off? Because if you are, you can come wear it up here. Okay. So I'll just leave it up here somewhere because I know now why the air conditioner's out there. It needs to be up here. But uh, anyway, um, it's the 26th of Christmas, right? Or the 26th of December, the day after Christmas. And typically, probably all of you guys, as soon as you're done here, you probably have your car loaded up with stuff you're going to take back that didn't fit, right? Or, or you didn't like it, uh, that chicken purse thing, you're probably, that would be one I would take back, get five bucks and go get yourself a mocha or something, I don't know. Um, but, you know, that's what you typically would do after Christmas, right? The gifts are opened and, and the, the Paper's probably in the middle of the floor after Christmas and all that other stuff, and you're cleaning up. I don't know how you do Christmas, but, you know, at the end, you got to wonder, is it worth it, right? You, you kind of look at all that stuff, and you think, I don't know, you know, what did we do this year? What did we get? And you're looking over that stuff, and, and like Pastor said, it, it kind of gets, you know, it's the next day, you're, you're kind of, uh, it, you know, what, what's next, right? And so today, we're going to look at uh, what is next, Um after Christmas, right? And it's really cool. We're still in the book of John. I'm really happy that I get to share the last one in this service because to me, it's, we probably should have started at the end. I mean, that's kind of the, the way the, the scripture was written is not that way. But in the end, John is one of the few writers in the gospels that actually tells you why he wrote it, right? You can read all of Matthew and all of Luke and, and all of Mark, and you can figure out who he's writing to because they're all writing to a different audience or for a different purpose. And you can surmise what that is. Or you could go to John, which is where we're going to be today, chapter 20, verse 30, and it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There's a reason, right? So it's kind of cool. You get to go to the back of the book and find out why he wrote the book to begin with, and he wrote these things that you might believe. Now, in the first service, I forgot to give my big point, right? So we're going to get that out of the way right now, and, and then we'll move on. So the big point for today's whole service is that you may know. It's the same that John had in his when he was writing. And uh, so he wrote these things that you may know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior, right? So what things is he talking about? Well, it's the ones he wrote. So as you look through, there's lots of stories about people and Jesus' interactions with them and, and how he shares and, and the healings that he does and the teachings, and they're all there. And we're just going to look at a few of them today. Um, we don't have enough time to look at all of them, but we will look at a few. And the first one I want to look at is the Samaritan woman. Now, probably most of you have heard that story. Um, Jesus, it says in the scripture, in fact, the reference is right there in your Bible or in your uh, sermon notes if you want to look at it for yourself. And I would encourage you because uh, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, um, but not be wrong, but I'm going to paraphrase. And it would be best if you read it for yourself because God's word is like that, right? So whenever I'm telling the story, the reference is there, please look that up and, and read it yourself. If not, while I'm speaking, do it when you go home, okay? So the Samaritan story, you guys are all very familiar with this woman, right? And the story of her, Jesus is going through Samaria, which normal Jews did not go through, right? Um, the Samaritans were the people that were left when all the other Jews were taken away in captivity, right? They were left probably because they just weren't worthy enough to even be taken as slaves, you know? 
Well, not even good enough to be a slave, right? Anyway, so they're stuck, and those are the Samaritans, and the Jews just don't think that they should even talk to them, right? I mean, we're just going to go around. It would be the shortest way to get to where you're going, but we're going to go around. Jesus, however, because he's the savior of the world, right? He goes through Samaria, and he stops at Jacob's well, just outside of this town, and uh, he stops at the well in the middle of the day. It's noon. He's hot. He's come a long way. His feet are dusty. He's hungry. He's thirsty. And it would just be natural to stop there. But normally you would have something to get the water out or you'd have brought food with you. But Jesus never does anything on accident, right? He's always got a plan. Always, always thinking ahead, right? That, that's the God we serve. And so he stops at this well and he's there and he sends his disciples into town. He says, you guys go in and get some food. I'm just going to sit here and rest, right? And of course, he knows that the Samaritan woman is going to come out at noon. She's coming at noon instead of in the morning with all the other women because she's ashamed of who she is, right? If she comes with all the other women, they're going to look down on her. They might even spit on her. They might call her names, whatever. It's just not a pretty sight. So she's avoiding other people and avoiding that conflict because she's on her fifth husband, sixth guy she's living with. I mean, I, I, that's, that's just bad, you know? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else. And everybody knows it, right? Everybody knows that's who she is, right? And so rather than change her ways, so she's, I guess you could say happy or whatever, because she continues to do it. It wasn't once or twice or three. It was six times. Now, the guy she's living with now is not even her husband, which Jesus will call her out on later. But the point is, is that she just continues in her sin. And so in order to do that, she's adjusted her schedule so that she comes out at noon and goes to the well when nobody else is there. It's the heat of the day. People are just not going to be at the well. And so she starts walking towards the well and there's a young man, right, at the well. She doesn't know who he is, but she sees him. And of course, she's probably thinking that he wants to be number seven. I mean, why else would he be at the well in the middle of the day? You know, she doesn't know Jesus. And yet Jesus knows exactly who she was and that doesn't matter he knows who she's going to be later, right? And so she comes up and they have this conversation and they talk about the living water and everything else. And he says, I am he. When she asks about the Messiah, he admits who he is to her. And she realizes this and the disciples come back and she runs back to the city. And then she tells everybody else in town, hey, this guy, I mean, so you understand that God made such a difference in her life that these very people that she would avoid at the well, the very people who condemned her, which rightly so, for what she had done, these are the people that she shares. That could this be the Messiah? Come and see. And they all come out and Jesus ends up spending a few more days in that town and many people believe. And in fact, they know, in fact, if you read on in that section, you'll see that they say he is the savior of the world, right? They realize him because of what he did. Now remember, it didn't matter who she was before. That's the important characteristic of Jesus in this story. It's not so much who she was, but who she was afterwards and that Jesus didn't care what she had done before, right? He just loved her, accepted her, shared with her, opened her eyes that she would see him as the savior. These things are written that we may know, right? So let's take another story in case that one didn't rock your boat or something. But uh, let's look at... Um, the story of the invalid. This is one of my favorites. Um, he is 38 years, he's been an invalid, right? I don't know if he's a paraplegic or what all, but he's an invalid of some sort. And he's bad enough that uh, he can't move himself around at all. And we know this because 
He's had people bring him to the pool of Bethesda, and then later Jesus will ask him some questions and we'll know what happens. But he, brings, he has his friends bring him there so that when these waters are stirred by the angel of God, um, that he can, if he's first in the pool, then he can be healed, right? But he has to be first in the pool. That's just the way the rules are, okay? There's, there's a guideline, right? But he has enough influence on people that he can talk probably four guys into picking them up and carrying them over there, or maybe two or whatever, but more than one, right, to carry him to the pool. But he doesn't have quite enough influence on them to ask him to stay and push him in in case the waters, I mean, they could wait all day and the waters may not be stirred. He doesn't have enough influence to have them there. Or maybe it's just that they don't want to be the one to kick the, <laughs> the guy in the pool and then have to dive in after him because he can't swim, right? I mean, maybe it won't heal him. I don't know. But for whatever reason, there's nobody there to help him into the pool. And uh, Jesus comes and there's a lot of other people around the pool, but for some reason, he focuses on this guy. And he comes up to him and he says, uh, do you want to be healed? <laughs> well, duh. You know, I mean, I'm right here. Of course I want to be healed. What else would I want, you know? He says, but I don't have anybody to help me into the water. So he starts making excuses, right? So we see a man who, who has some influence on people, and he actually has a plan. For, he knows what it takes to be saved. He has a plan, and he has a list that he's following. I get up in the morning. I get my friend carry me to the pool. Would you carry me to the pool if I ask you? Yeah, he'd carry me to the pool. So I get my friend to carry me to the pool and, and now all I got to do is get somebody to kick me in and then I'll be good, right? So he's got this checklist of things he has to do in order to get saved. And along with that, he has excuses because Jesus asked, do you want to be saved? Well, nobody can get me into the pool. You know, it <laughs> doesn't matter. I'm not going to be first. I'm not going to make it. So I'm following all this guy, but I, I you know, it's not going to happen. I've got an excuse. And, and so, you know, Jesus just looks at him and says, get up, stand up pick up your mat and walk. And you know, it is miraculous. We had a, a gentleman in here last service who's in a wheelchair. You've probably seen him if you've been to any of the services more. I am sure that he would just love it if he could just stand up right now and have all the strength he ever had and run around and would know that Jesus had touched him and healed him, right? Well, that's who this guy was. And Jesus vanishes out. So he's not even sure who Jesus is yet. And you see, that's a really cool part of the story, right? There again, it didn't matter who this gentleman was before Christ, and it didn't even matter who Jesus was, except that he was the healer. That's all he had to do, is just believe. And he stood up and he walked. Later he finds Jesus, and Jesus tells him to go and sin no more, right? And because of that, it stirs up the Pharisees again against Jesus, and blah, 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 and that goes on in that story. But please, read it for yourself, and you'll, you'll find out what I'm saying is actually true, that all this actually happened. So, and when we talk about Pharisees, I, I want to go back to the beginning of John chapter 3 and introduce a man named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee, right? So keep in mind that all of the gospels and talk about this conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaders of the church, right? This conflict that he had with them because they didn't want to accept him as Messiah or Savior. And they thought he was blaspheming and they were, thought they were protecting the church. And so they were doing everything they can. In fact, many times they tried to kill Jesus and he just slips away right? He just disappears. It's kind of cool when you read the stories. He's like, he's here one minute and they try to grab him and he's gone. He's in a crowd and they try to get him and he's gone. His time hadn't come yet, right? So Nicodemus is one of these people, right? But something in his heart stirs him to curiosity. And so he comes to Jesus at night. 
Now, he's probably coming at night because he doesn't want anybody to know, right? He's a Pharisee, right? Um, he's a board member. <laughs> and he, he doesn't want anybody to know that G- he wants to talk to Jesus personally, right? Because he could get in trouble. He could lose his position in the church or whatever else. And he's a teacher. He's pretty high up. And so he comes to Jesus in the night and talks to Jesus. And of course, this is where we get that beautiful scripture that we all learned as kids, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a great verse and we all know it very well. What we miss is the portion in front of that, right? Look at verse 14, right? Where he talks about, he shares this story with Nicodemus because Nicodemus would understand the story of the Israelites in the desert and when they got this bitten by snakes, okay? He shares that story and I don't want us to miss that and the importance of it. So I'm gonna share that story with you too. It's not in John. It's actually in the Old Testament, it's in Numbers. And uh, there again, the reference is in your, in your uh, sermon guide and I would hope that you'll go home and read it again. You know, it's, it's better if you read it for yourself. But here's how the story goes is that the Israelites had been wandering in the desert um, for matters that don't matter for this story, but they're still in the desert, right? God has given them quail because they needed food. He gave them manna, which was a bread. He gave them water from a rock, you know? Um, kind of cool stuff is happening, right? I mean, they should be pretty, they're no longer slaves. Uh, you know, like I said, God is, he goes before them. He comes after them. He's protecting them. He's got, they've got Moses who talks directly to God and then he shares what he says and, and all these things are happening. And so they should be in a pretty good place, right? You would think. But as the story says, and as history records, they just started grumbling about all these things, right? And we don't like the quail, you know, could you send us a turkey? I don't know what they, but anyway, they didn't like the quail. You know, maybe they wanted the Christmas ham. That was it. I don't know. But whatever, they didn't like that. They didn't like the manna. Um, They weren't exactly happy with even the water from the rock, right? All of these things God had done for them, and they are grumbling about the blessings of the Lord. They are grumbling about that. And God then is frustrated, kind of fed up with them. He's led them. He's done all these great things for them. And so he sends snakes in and these snakes bite the people and they get sick and they start dying off, right? There's always a consequence for our sin. Always a consequence for our sin. There's always gotta be a price. That's just the way it is, right? It started in the very beginning. It's worked all the way through. Pastor talked about it just in his little brief thing about the goat that would lead that took the price. And there's always a price. There's always got to be blood shed, right? And so these guys are bitten. They're dying off, right? And they realize what they've done. They have an aha moment, as we call it. And we kind of screwed up, right? And so um, they go to Moses and they say, hey, we're sorry we sinned against God. Fix this. (laughs) Do whatever you can. Talk to God on our behalf and get this thing fixed because we're dying here literally. (laughs) And so, you know, Moses does, and God tells him to do this. He says, make a snake out of bronze and put it on a stick and then hold it up. And anybody who, I promise you that anybody who looks at that snake, that bronze snake will be healed. Like, okay. So he does it, right? Moses puts this thing together, puts it on a stick, tells the people, and you know what happens? Yeah, they get healed, right? They start looking at that snake and they get healed. I told this story to our third, fourth, and fifth grade Sunday school class or Grace Kids class in Middleton one time. And that Caleb, one of the young men, he's fourth grade at the time, he, uh, I said, what would you do if you had been an Israelite in the, you know, in the group and you got bit by a snake? What would you do? And he said, 
duh, you know, he's, I would look at the snake, right? And so would you, right? I mean, think about it. Put yourself there, right? If, if you got bitten, um, you know, there's two million people around you in this group or more that are headed in the desert. You know, you are going to do push everybody out of the way, go to the highest ground, wherever you can go to see that snake, right? Because you know that that's going to save you. You know that you'll live if you can just get there. And if I just stay in my tent and hide, I'm going to die, right? I mean, you know that. So what are you going to do? You're going to go and see the snake, right? If my brother or my sister or whoever else is bit, I'm going to make sure they go to see the snake. If I have to drag them there and point their head, I'm going to do whatever I can to get them to see the snake, right? I mean, that's important. And this story is shared with Nicodemus for the purpose of John 3.16. Because Jesus says that the Son of Man must be lifted up in order that the world could be saved, right? So that we can look to him for that same salvation. So he tells this story to Nicodemus to kind of get Nicodemus thinking about this in a different aspect, you know, trying to look at this from a different point of view. And then, you know, we move ahead, you know, a few years from this meeting with Nicodemus to Jesus then in the Garden of Gethsemane, chapters 19, 20, and 21, right? Three chapters that talk about probably the, one of the most significant things that happened in Jesus's life. Being born was important, but the, 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 the birth <laughs> had to happen so that you could have the death, right? There's a price for sin. It has to be paid. Without the birth, you don't have the death. So the next three chapters in John talk about the death of Jesus, right? Where he is, well, betrayed in the garden, taken before a kangaroo court, if you could even call it that, and charged with things that weren't true and yet takes it all for us, right? Goes to the cross, gets hung on a cross. There's a beautiful salvation story right there in the middle of all of that where the one thief is mocking him and the other thief says, no, you shouldn't do that. And he looks to Jesus and he says, remember me in your kingdom, right? Just a few simple words. He doesn't pray some flowery prayer. He just says, remember me. And Jesus says, it will happen, right? He gets saved. It's kind of cool, right? I mean, but Jesus is on that cross and he dies, and they put him in a tomb, and they're not satisfied with just burying him in that tomb. Instead, they roll a rock in front of it and seal it, and then they point guards outside of it because those Pharisees and Sadducees, the rulers of the church, they want to make sure nothing happens because they have been trying for the last three to four years to kill this man, and he has avoided them. He's done everything else, but they finally got him, right? They finally killed him. They put him on a tree. They're crucified. He's in there. They can celebrate. He's locked up in this tomb, right? <laughs> we all know, right, what happens. Three days later, the joke's on them, right? I mean, the stone has been mulled back, right? The guards don't have a clue what happened. They're basically clueless. They don't know what happens. And, and, you know, Mary comes and she sees the empty tomb and she's confused. She doesn't know. They've moved his body. She doesn't know. And so she starts talking to the gardener to say, did you do something with him? You know, where'd you put him? I want to take care of him and all of that. And then the gardener reveals himself to be Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the teacher, the rabbi that she knows. And she realizes this and she gets so excited that she runs back to the house where the disciples are hiding in fear and trying to figure out what's going on and she runs back there and they come in and she tells them what's happened and two more disciples run back to the tomb and it's empty and they're just they don't know what to do this has never happened well Lazarus came out right but that was a different thing right and 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 now Jesus himself is not in the tomb and what's happened and Mary says she saw him and, and they're all confused and then Jesus appears to them right and 
Thomas wasn't there, but Jesus appears to a lot of them there, in that, and, and he shows himself, and they start to believe, and then he even comes back for Thomas. Now, we can blame Thomas for a lot of things, but he comes back for Thomas because it was important that Thomas believed, and so he will do whatever it takes so that we'll believe, right? These things are written down. These things, that's what John says, right? These things are written down that you may believe. The big point was that you may know God, right? So, Jesus is alive. Many people have seen him. And then he ascended to heaven, right? And then the rest of the scriptures and 2,000 years, here we are today. You know, here we are today and these things are written that we might know. And not just us, but the people around us too. The world needs a savior, right? Right? Idaho needs a savior, right? The U.S. needs a savior, (laughs) right? We need a savior every day. Every day we need a savior. We need somebody to turn to. Um, a friend of mine was, uh, he had just gotten saved and he was pretty excited about it, right? And he was sharing that and he was uh, older in life and uh, anyway, and you know, so this was a new thing, but he was super excited and his dad was uh, actually dying of cancer and so he went to his dad to talk to him about this Christianity thing, right? <laughs> and he went to his dad and he started sharing with his dad and uh, his dad says, well, I'm a Christian. Really? <laughs> I don't, when did you get saved, dad? You know? And dad says, well, I've been saved all my life. Like, oh. Hmm. And he's quiet for a while. And he, finally he said, well, dad, why didn't you love me enough to tell me? You know? Hmm. My question for you would be, you know, <laughs> who is it? that you're afraid to tell, that you don't love enough to tell them about Jesus, the Savior of the world. You see, if we don't tell people, they're not going to know. Or maybe they will, but they've got a better chance if we tell them, right? Kind of like, you know, the Israelites when they got bit, right? You'd show somebody else the snake, right? Why won't you point people to the cross? Why would we rather keep it inside, right? Right? I know there's the politically correct stuff. There's the things you're not supposed to say at work and out and all of that. And, and you know, that's, that's just garbage, actually. <laughs> the scripture tells us what we're supposed to say and what we're supposed to do. And I would challenge us to do those things, right? Um, in your sermon notes, you're going to see um, point number one, and this is important. Remember Nicodemus when he came and he saw Jesus the first time, Right? He knew of God, but he didn't know God, right? So the first one there is, do I know God? Or do do I know of God or do I know God? Do I know of God or do I know God, right? Um, If it's confusing, it's on the screen. (laughs) But the question is, have you sat in church all your life? And you went Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesdays. We don't even do Sunday nights and Wednesdays anymore. But that's what I did when I was a kid, right? We came Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays. My parents led the youth, so I was usually here on Fridays and Saturdays. And, you know, spent a lot of time at the church, uh, you know. But it wasn't until I knew God that there was a difference in my life, right? I knew all the answers. I had all the answers. I had my checklist, of things I had to do, right? As I'm sure some of you have your checklist and you're trying to get it right so that you can come to God, trying to clean your act up before you come, you know? Or maybe, maybe uh, 
you know, you think you don't deserve God, right? How about point number two? Jesus is for whoever believes, right? Jesus is for whoever believes. Remember the lady, the Samaritan woman, right? She was in deepest sin as anybody here in this place has ever been, right? Everybody knew what she was doing. She was labeled. That's why she avoided people. She was ashamed, but yet she wasn't willing to change yet either, right? I mean, think about it. Some of us, some of you are in that same boat, right? I mean, you just keep going to that same website that you probably shouldn't go to, right? I mean, you keep doing that, or maybe you keep having terrible thoughts about the people that you don't agree with at work and, and you argue and you fight with them in your mind of things you want to say. If you just got a chance, I would rip this guy. And you, know, and, and you think those thoughts and you continue in those things. Those are all sin and you're not willing to give those up. You're a lot like you know, this woman at the well or maybe more like the invalid, right? Where you have an excuse for every time, right? It's not right today or my family's here. I don't want to stand up and admit that I'm not a sinner and, or that I'm a sinner and come forward and that I'm not really saved. People think I am, so I'm not going to do that. Or I don't know what your excuse is. Maybe you have, think you have too many tattoos. I don't know what it is, but I guarantee you, you do. You know what your excuses are, right? Or you know what your friend's excuses are because they've given them to you, right? There's nobody to help me. Nobody would like me. If I came to church, they wouldn't love me. All these other things. There's always excuses, Right? But I'm here to say that look at the end of the story. These things are written that they may know, right? And they won't know them if we don't tell them, right? So you guys have heard these this morning. You've heard these stories. You've heard these things that John wrote about. My challenge to you is twofold. One is if today is the day when you want to know Christ instead of know of him, it's a perfect time. There's no excuses. It's the day after Christmas, all the presents are open, but you know there might be one gift that's still underneath your tree. That little baby Jesus, that gift of Jesus might still be underneath your tree. And my challenge to you would be to open that gift and take it for everything it's worth. Everything it's worth. Don't leave it there. Don't, don't miss the moment to have Jesus as your savior, your deliverer, preserver your life preserver, your eternal life preserver, right? You have to believe, which means you have to accept and you have to know that Jesus Christ can do that. And I hope that if all else, you'll go, if you're in a place right now where you're still wondering, I would hope that you'll go home, flip over the sermon guide and read the book of John, answer those questions and see if this is not a God that you can believe in, if this is not the savior that you need, right? The second part of this is that and this probably fits a lot of people, is that, you know, we know Jesus, right? But there are people in our lives that don't. I guarantee you everybody can think of somebody in your life that doesn't know Jesus. My challenge to you would be to do whatever it takes to get him to look to the cross. Whatever it takes. It's a matter of life and death, honestly. It is a matter of life and death. That they come to know the Lord, and if we don't do it, it's not going to happen if we don't point them to the cross. It's not this group. It's not this church that does it. It's us. It's this group, right? We all have people we know, and it is our job and our responsibility to point them to that cross. And that would be my prayer this morning. So we're going to stand and actually let you out a little bit early so you can rush and turn in those gifts you didn't want. But I'm hoping that uh, you'll think about that gift of the Savior and what are you going to do with that gift? Are you going to keep it for yourself? Are you going to share it 
Or are you actually for the first time going to open it because Jesus is for everybody? Let's stand. Father God, I thank you for this morning, Lord, and I, I pray, Lord, that uh, your word would not return void. And Father, I pray that if there's anybody here in this room that doesn't know you, that hasn't opened that gift, Lord, that you would place it in their hearts right now to just say, remember me like the thief on the cross. Those simple words, remember me, Lord. And in so saying, would be change me, make me into the man or the woman of God that I need to be. Lord, throw all the excuses out and may they see who they can be after you and forget about who they were before. We're not condemned, Lord, but we come before you. And so I pray for those and I ask whether they would take a moment just to ask you to be Lord of their lives and to be their savior. And Lord, then I pray for the rest of us that know you, Lord, that we would share you, that we would take this gift that we were given, that we've just celebrated and spent three weeks talking about, Lord, that we would take this gift and give it to those around us, Lord, that we would share that gift in a way that would bring them and point them to the cross, that lives would be saved and changed forever. And we pray these things in your name and with your blessings, Lord. Amen. Thanks very much. Have a good day, and uh, we're glad you're here.